0: Welcome to the Science of Beers podcast with me, Michael McGee. Talking science and drinking beers with researchers down at the pub. So join us with a brew and let's cheers to science. Welcome back to the Science and Beers podcast. It's been a few weeks since our last episode. Uh, there was a little bit of a break there. I was particularly busy organising an art and science festival here in Ulmza, but We're back now and you'll have three more episodes of the podcast before the summer break. This time I'm talking with Professor Nina Bonderup-Dohm. She is a professor in learning and ICT at the Department of Design and Communication at the University of Southern Denmark. So the University of Southern Denmark is divided into six campuses around Denmark. The main campus is in Onze, but Nina works out of campus calling and the campus itself is absolutely stunning. It's uh, full of beautiful colors, wide open spaces, and triangles. Uh, You'll—it's a podcast here, so you're going to have to have to Google it if you want to get a look at campus calling. So Nina is also a member of the Danish Institute for Advanced Study, where she is a senior fellow of humanities. So her background is is quite interesting. She's, uh, she's a physicist. She's worked a little bit with biology. Uh, she's a philosopher. She's uh, an educational philosopher or an educational researcher. So I'm going to be talking with Nina about, about education, really, about my own experience with education and, and about her research. We sat down with a couple of uh, IBAs over in Campus Calling and we had a nice chat. Please help us share the word of the podcast, recommend it to a friend, give us a review, particularly if you're listening on iTunes, or share it on social media pages. I'm your host, Michael McGee. Cheers to science. Aina, yeah. thanks very much for joining me.
1: Thank you cheers. for bringing the views. <laughs> yes.
0: We have a couple of delicious IPAs from the Abletoft Gore Boogery Northern Jutland, so cheers. 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 Mm. They're, they're still a little bit cold after the, after the walk up here. They're perfect. Yes.
1: They shouldn't be too cold. Then you can't really ha- taste them.
0: Is that right, there? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> so um, you are a, an educational researcher. Would that be a, the right way of defining it? That would
1: be one way of putting it, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I've been thinking about this on, on, on the way over here, that um, a lot of people at, at school, you have, there's a classic example, say, with mathematics. You're learning these crazy, algebraic equations, and you're able to do it whenever you're 14. But remember, at school, you're thinking, when will I ever use something like this? Yeah. Uh, so so that, that, that's one example. Everybody goes through an education, but it, it's the it's question about, do we go through education to, to learn something that helps us navigate the world, or do we go through an education to pass exams? My own experience, now it, it's getting longer and longer ago, where I went to (laughs) went to school as as a teenager we learned things to remember specific facts so then we could bring them up in the June exams Yeah, yeah. and I came to Denmark nine years ago to go to university and now I'm actually working with, with young people's education teenagers education in Denmark and it seems to be the process isn't necessarily how many facts can you remember here in Denmark it's you have a problem, how do you actually solve it? And in, yeah. in, in doing that you're not just passing exams, you're, you're really moving education out of the classroom into the real world.
1: That's our aim. I'm not sure every student will always experience it mm-hmm. that way, but we certainly, uh, and I mean this has been, this has been the aim for, for decades, uh, to focus less on facts and more on Problem solving and uh, and motivation, uh, motivation involved in actually raising a problem yourself, not just having your teacher formulate a problem, but finding problems yourself. Because that way you have co- you get committed to it in a much stronger sense than you per se will do if your teacher poses a problem.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm science. I'm into science. I studied science, and uh, I remember again as a teenager, teenager you had the predefined. Uh, experiments in yeah, physics, cookbook. for example. You know, cookbook you
1: have yeah.
0: the cookbook experiments, and you just follow the procedures, and yeah. you end up with the result that you know the teacher knew was going to happen at the start. Yeah,
1: and if you didn't, then you've made a mistake. <laughs>
0: yeah. We got this result. But that's the wrong result. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not science. So even at, even at science as a teenager, I wasn't learning the scientific no. method.
1: So, uh, no, and in that sense, I mean, in Denmark and also in many other countries, uh, the, there's been a move towards inquiry based uh, uh, teaching and learning instead. So, that uh, instead of learning facts and having really cookbook ex- exercises, you want to formulate uh, more open questions where the students can actually do a project on, of their own, where you as a teacher may probably know what the answer is, but it's still more open, mm-hmm. um, also because you don't know what the question will be. So even if you know once they've posed a question what the answer will be, then it will still be more of their question.
0: Okay. Uh, am, I just, am I just old, or was there a, a point in, in Denmark where it was also the, the cookbook?
1: It's still the cookbook in many places. I mean, there's been a movement towards the inquiry-based, and there are many projects like that, but there's certainly also quite a lot of cookbook exercises in um, in school. As it is now, and you could say there are also reasons why you would want them um, simply for training in laboratory uh, uh, procedures. Mm. That might be easier to do uh, in, uh, in 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 cookbook exercises where you sort of learn how to handle each um, measurement instrument. Um, but that said, uh, I think it's uh, simply also because it's, uh, it requires a lot of both teachers and students to do uh, inquiry-based projects and sometimes it's simply easier for both te- teachers and students in the short run to do the cookbook exercises. But we have had this movement from uh, within all subjects, not just natural sciences, but within all subjects, that uh, students have to do some larger projects where they actually formulate the projects themselves. So you will still find cookbook exercises, but but I think, um, the, are you asking for when did we stop having only cookbook uh, exercises? And that's, um, I think, yeah, that would have been 40 years ago. Mm. That you started having the more open projects,
0: and that's that's how people acquire the skills necessary to uh, go out and and, uh, critically think about the world. Yeah, uh, I mean, so so critical thinking is a a huge part of it, I guess.
1: Yes, exactly, and uh, and uh, you you get to uh, at least um, I'm I'm uh, sort of hesitating a bit because I don't Mm -hmm. like to think of critical. I don't believe in critical thinking as one thing that you can simply learn critical thinking as a competence in itself I'd rather say you're always critically thinking about something and being critically uh, in investigative in uh, in physics is not the same as being it in philosophy so um but of course it's a, there's a, there's a somewhat of the same pattern to it asking not just accepting what is there in the book, mm. uh, and, and uh, raising questions like that, you could say it's something that cuts across. But that's simply to uh, at a too over, um, superficial level to actually talk about it as a competence. So I'd rather say it's a question of um, uh, of, en- of engaging students in me- in a more holistic way in the kind of um, uh, of work you would also do as a scientist or uh, at least as uh, someone engaged with the, the subject as a profession. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because you, you don't learn, when you wo- work in science, you don't work on one small piece task at a time. You, you, uh, you work on larger tasks and you have to fit your, uh, your competences together to that last, uh, larger task. And that's more what they do mm-hmm. um, when they do projects. At least when the projects fun, uh, work well because they don't always uh, you'll have projects that uh, where, uh, stu- where students if they, if they are simply not motivated at all, th- then they can't come up with a problem formulation they'll end up asking the teacher to give them one and so it, it can fall apart in, in various ways mm-hmm. um, so there's, it's not like you could say that sort of that's sort of the way to, um, to simply save everything, save the world. Because uh, it, it, there are also studies that show that, um, uh, that the students that for whom it works best are those students who are, um, uh, have uh, the best uh, outset to begin with, who come from so- social classes, where uh, uh, have, uh, parents who are academics yeah. come from higher social classes, uh, whatever word you would like to use about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as an educational researcher, you're, you're, you're looking into different teaching methods and strategies. Maybe comparing yeah. different countries to, to find what is the best way to educate young people. What, what are good ways to... What, what are good ways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I would very much not like to say that something is the best way uh-huh. because it will always be really context dependent what is a good way. In, uh, uh, in certain uh, respects. I mean one one example that uh, you find also in, um, uh, you find both in the educational system and also in uh, teaching and learning in organizations, that when you go to cu- uh, cultures that are not as, in Denmark there's a very uh, low degree of uh, asymmetry between teacher and students, so students will confront teachers and say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And in, country, uh, in countries where, where that's not the way they have been trained to go through the educational system, you can't expect them to do that. And if you ask them to do that, they v- will feel really un- uncomfortable. So project inquiry-based teaching is, uh, works better if you have already established a culture of actually inquiring.
0: Yeah, I have only very recently got to see uh, teenagers at, at school in Denmark because I started a job to, to bring more science in your free time in, in Denmark, you know, so yeah. encouraging teenagers to come do some experiments on a Tuesday evening, which, just the fact that that job exists, I think, <laughs> speaks volumes <laughs> speaks about the local yeah. culture here. Yeah. But it was also super interesting for me to see how they do interact with the teachers, and they call the teachers by the first name, yeah. there's no uniform, you know, it seems to be more of a conversation that they tend to have. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Definitely.
0: And it's quite different from where I came from, where you had the uniform, everybody was called sir or miss. Yes. You can't talk back. You can't say that that's wrong for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: And I can tell you it's a shock for Danish kids when they go to... My my kids went to Australia to school for half a year and having to wear a school uniform uh. was not very... Well, I mean, they did, and of course they did. They had to. But yeah. it suddenly came up very quickly when they came home.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious about the, the history of... of of education, because it, it, it goes back a long time, it, it's it's state controlled, I feel that it used to be in Great Britain, Ireland at least, it used to be designed to get people to go to university at some point, so, so that perhaps they, they can then give back to society, they start earning some money, goes back into the tax system, forgive me if I'm wrong here, I, I'm not an educational researcher, <laughs> but it, it is that still the, the what is the aim of a society to to educate.
1: I think I mean, be actually that used to be, uh, or it's more like that now than it used to be because uh, Bildung, as we would as it would be called in German, formation is uh, is. Um, the closest we can get in English, Dänelse in Danish, is something that is really, really important in both Denmark and the Scandinavian countries and uh, coming from Germany and the continental tra- uh, tradition. So, our understanding of what the aim of school is it's about letting children develop into citizens uh, that can participate and into whole beings, into persons. They can form uh, the, the, a formation of the person, is what it is. the, the main aim or has traditionally been seen as a main aim of uh, of school whereas recently within the past decades um the competition societies as, as it's called at least in denmark has mm. has changed that a bit so i uh, which you, you can also see with um 20 years ago uh, was when we started to have to formulate our goals in terms of uh, l- learning, goal, learning objectives in uh, knowledge, skills and, uh, and competences that you would aim for. Before that, you would uh, you would have much more vaguely expressed, not that they were, were vague, but about the formation of the person. You, you will still find that in Folkesskolen, um, in, 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 uh, in, in their goals, that it's also about the formation of the person, but you will also find specific goals for each subject. And, uh, and that has been a shift uh, that has come through an internationalisation of the Danish uh, way of thinking about education
0: for yeah. better and worse. Well, that, that sounds really positive, that formation of the person. Mm. It sounds like a really nice thing to do. And It, it seems that you know, if people have a, a passion for any kind of area in in their education system here, that they can pursue it. It could be sports, it could be academia. But, but then... If they have a real passion for something at university, yeah, they do need to get they need, do need to get the grades, and they do need to push, yeah. push themselves that way to yeah. be able to get accepted there. And there's only a certain number of spaces.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that's also another reason why why um, why you'll find that a focus has shifted from the formation to the uh, to the actual delivery of uh, of, compet- of, of uh, documentation that they have competences, because otherwise they won't be able to pursue what they want. Yeah. So I mean, there are good sides and bad sides to the uh, very much uh, larger degree of uh, formulation of goals we, that we have nowadays. It's uh, it's easier for uh, for students to see what is expected of, of them than it was forty years ago when you would, or fifty years ago when you would go to. You'd have two exams basically uh, in uh, at the university. You'd have uh, your um, uh, basic level exam and your um, major level exam, and so you basically had to know the the whole. Um, mm-hmm curriculum for two three four years yeah and, uh, by heart <laughs> yeah. and uh, and obviously that's difficult
0: well, well some incredibly bright problem solving people just find it very difficult to remember things like, yeah like exactly remember, remember and,
1: and of course i mean if you find it, it, some basic facts within science basic uh, um, uh, equations, you you basically need them because it'll slow you too much down if you have to look them up every time. Uh, so even if you're uh, when you're working as a problem solver, it'll be iterative back and forth and you'll get ideas and then you want to uh, work with them and uh, mm-hmm. develop them. And if you have to look up basic equations every time, that'll simply slow you too much down. But on the other hand, knowing every fact out, uh, by heart is not really going to get you through the problem solving either. No. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sort of in the middle because you do know to know, uh, need to have a background you can draw on. If you don't have that, then there's simply not enough to be ingenious about, um, and it'll slow you too much down. But on the other hand, you don't get ingenious just by by facts alone. So mm-hmm. and and definitely in sort of the olden times where facts was all uh, that was the, uh, that that was looked at, you you. Uh, did, actually, had no indication whether somebody would be able to pursue yeah. a, a scientific career because you had, you didn't ask them to do what is actually required for that. Yeah.
0: I, I I'm sorry to say, but I have I've met some um, on, on PhD courses. I've met some some people who clearly were very good at remembering facts, <laughs> but didn't really have any, any of the problem solving skills <laughs> necessary to yeah yeah to convert uh, hours to minutes or, or <laughs> <laughs> things like that. Uh, I'm really curious about your own. Your own history, your own your own background, because it, it was it was hard for me to get a full idea about about your background because it seems to be very diverse. There's some physics in there, there's some computer science, there's some biology, there's some, <laughs> you know,
1: now, now there's some... yeah. Now where is the red thread? <laughs> so I'll tell my story backwards because that's always in the. I mean, I would tell it from now yes. and backwards because that's the way you can make most uh, stringent sense okay. of what has happened. But right now, I would say you ask me whether I was an educational uh, theorist. Uh, or educational researcher and that's one way of putting it I said and that's because um, if you ask me how I would describe my research field I would say that I'm an educational philosopher who bridges uh, uh, philosophy and uh, learning, and I do that both uh, theoretically uh, and uh, pragmatically, didactically. Or, uh, uh, so I ask both really philosophical questions like what is knowledge and how, how can philosophy co- contribute to other sciences about knowledge. I also ask really practical questions like how can you use a wiki in teaching. Uh, uh, how can you use a wiki, uh, Wikipedia, uh, not okay, Wikipedia, okay, but uh, yeah. writing a wiki, write, writing interest for a wiki? Mm-hmm. How can you use that for teaching and learning? Yeah. So I, I ask sort of really specific pedagogical questions and really large philosophical ones, and anything basically in between, as long as it's got some, something to do with knowledge and learning. Yeah. I did say I was an educational philosopher, and that's because I built the bridge, but I built it from the side of the philosophy. Uh, So I I was educated as a philosopher, uh, uh, that's my major subject, and I have physics as my uh, minor subject. As you know, here in Denmark we have two subjects, so that's the most usual, and uh, I chose physics as my uh, minor subject, basically because at the time I was mainly in uh, I, what really fascinated me in philosophy was philosophy of science. And I felt I needed to know more about uh, the science that I was to philosophize about, otherwise it would be, become uh, t- t- too, um, at, at too superficial a level. Mm. Physicists don't like it when I say it, but I'm, I'm saying that I took physics as my ethnographic study to be able to do philosophy.
0: Not <laughs> like many people would... Come up with that sentence,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and um, of course, I. But of course, I also engaged in. Uh, I mean, I did physics as a physics student, but I also used. Uh, so I, en- I, I engaged fully in the community of learning physics, mm. but it has also, um, it, it it has also helped me in the philosophizing, and it also triggered my uh, interest in knowledge uh, because um, physics textbooks, if they're good you would expect the theory to be in there and you'd be you'd expect that if you understand what's written in the book then you understand what physics is about because we think physics is a really articulated
0: Mm. uh, um it's a precise science
1: a precise science and you can say everything there is to say right Mm. and then you get to the the to the back of the chapter and there are all these exercises and you can't solve them so what is it that you lack if the textbook is good then it should be in the textbook. Of course, I've had heaps of bad textbooks, but I've actually also had really good textbooks. And still, there'll be the gap that uh, you get to the, uh, to the exercises and you still can't do them. And then you go to the, uh, the examples in the book and you, sometimes you say, oh, wow, yeah, that's it. This, has, this looks like that one. It has to be solved uh, with that one as an exemplar or paradigm. And so there's there something that what, what triggered me philosoph- philosophically is there's so much tacit knowledge in science. Tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge. Yes. Knowledge You can't say. You can point yes. at it perhaps to somebody who's already in it. You can say, mm-hmm. you can say to a student who can't solve the, uh, a problem with uh, a, a brick for, uh, going down a slope, you can mm-hmm. say, oh, but uh, try and look at the pendulum problem and see if you can see something similar. But to somebody who's not already understood the pendulum problem and seen mm-hmm. <laughs> what the pendulum problem is in a specific way, that's no help at all and vice versa. Okay. So. There's a lot of knowledge in science that is uh, background knowledge and actually uh, um, I would say that uh, what we do articulate and what we can articulate is the tip of the iceberg, but our understanding of that tip is uh, is tacit and is beneath uh, beneath the waters what we can't see and so that set me going on doing first my, um, my my master's thesis on what is knowledge and uh, different forms of knowledge and how do they relate and then i did my phd on uh, how do we actually learn that and then i got then i got really intrigued by the fact that since i think so much knowledge is uh, tacit and i had some already back in the uh, late 90s interesting experiences of ict based learn, uh, learning Working and I mean at that time we weren't talking about Zoom or anything. We were talking mm-hmm. about students writing writing questions in a discussion forum and teachers answering answering. But that there that could be that definitely didn't have happen always. But you could have an experience of really being close with your students and the students uh, had the same experience with uh, with the teacher mm-hmm. because you were so focused on it. And so that triggered me. How uh, how does that? Uh, speak to my tacit knowledge.
0: It, it was this ICT, education, it was still teacher to student, but via via computers?
1: Yeah, and it would be a, a class of students. Yeah. So, you, you, I mean, basically, like you'd have your old-fashioned discussion forum, the kinds you, you can still find except that they have all kinds of f- uh, possibilities of uploading extra stuff. Uh, but mm. the kind of, uh, uh, Reddit for example. Yeah, that, that's, that's super helpful
0: for, for me if I have some kind of strange question I go to Reddit. Yeah, yeah, Reddit. yeah. But at
1: that time <laughs> you you could have uh, distance teaching uh, where students would, uh, or, or like uh, with Blackboard, they, it wasn't Blackboard that we used but it could have been Blackboard, they would upload uh, the assignments and they, we would have a Black- discussion Blackboard forum. by the way
0: would be the, the platform that universities in Denmark uses to communicate with students
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, except that now we've changed to it's learning at mm. SDU uh, and uh, so but yeah the learning management system yeah. um, but Blackboard has uh, as a learning management system has mo- has many more um, uh, uh, possibilities than just having a discussion forum between teachers and students and an upload of assi- assignments, so you, but basically at the time what you would have is an upload of assi- assignments and somewhere where you could pose questions that only uh, your teacher and your classmates could see, but not all, all other people, mm-hmm. so that kind of closed uh, forum yeah. and What triggered me was that you could really uh, if you had group discussions, uh, you could also make m- minor groups uh, within the larger group of the class and uh, and you could really have. A feeling of being close with each other about what the subject were, what you were discussing in a way that doesn't always happen in class well it doesn't always happen uh, here either but what tri- triggered me was if i believe so much knowledge is tacit then mm-hmm. how does it work in this very articulate uh, environment and that sent me uh, well oh, that was a main reason why i applied uh, for the position that I got as assistant professor here, which was uh, on in, in within information science, mm-hmm. uh, humanistic information science, where I was able to pursue this, uh, this question. Yeah. So that was sort of a bit of back and forth. Yeah. Um, philosophy drives me. I find uh, a lot of questions of philosophical interest within uh, many empirical sciences. Well, that's, that's
0: super interesting. Um, it was maybe two or three years ago, I was at a, a, a Diaz talk with a, um, a researcher from from England, I can't remember his name, but he was talking about creativity, and he was comparing. Because if if we think, if if I think, and many people think creativity, they're thinking the arts, mm. they're thinking music, they're thinking dance, culture. But he was making the case that there's just as much creativity involved in science, but it's never taught. We never have yeah. a, a a creative course. We're just told, okay, these are these are some work tools, and then you have to you have to make that. Jump yourself whenever you see a problem, then you then you say, okay, I can use these work tools to design an experiment to test the theory. But there's that creative part that's missing yeah, in the education. Yeah. Whereas you go over to the arts, and it's it's all about honing in on your creativity. Yeah. So. I, I I was really blown away by that talk because I never thought about it before. But it was completely obvious when we yeah. said it. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And, uh, and and you could say that part of the tacit knowledge I'm talking about. Part of it is also what is in, uh, involved in that creativity. Uh, I mean, not that, but uh, but some of it is also just simply understanding what um, <laughs> what the words mean. In, uh, so that you can actually transfer—not not just you—you uh, you don't just have the theory of Newton's three laws, but you can you actually know what they mean in practice with uh, trolleys and uh, and stuff, uh, and uh, and uh, see on, uh, see how you get from um, uh, from the facts of the theory to the problem solving of uh, actual engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. Is, is this is this something that you're you're researching, or you're actively engaged in trying to bring into the official education system this m- embracing creativity in the sciences and transforming knowledge from the classroom into society. Definitely uh, the latter. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that that I, uh, um, I'm I'm very focused on school not being for the sake of school, but school being for the sake uh, of um, or, or school for students being for. Uh, the sake of them actually uh, getting competences that they can use afterwards and uh, making the uh, gap between school and uh, work life easier for them to uh, to bridge mm. and uh, and making what uh, or uh, helping them uh, um, learn things that are actually useful for them uh, later on and it doesn't have to be sort of one-on-one you can use this specific uh, formula in that uh, you, you said you talked about the, your mathematics uh, the algebra you did and you, yeah. you couldn't necessarily f- see where you would use that and, and that's very specific where can I use this for that but basically more sort of the mindset of seeing what you're doing not as uh, only doing it for the next exam, but doing uh, but seeing uh, an, uh, an authenticity to it uh, for it, it actually be, to be useful in different contexts and for you to learn to shift perspective between contexts, I think is really important. Mm. So that you uh, don't just um, learn whatever is needed for, for your exam, but that you do projects with um, with businesses or organizations, where you actually work with. The problems that are out there, not the ones that are set by your uh, mm. by, by your teachers, so that you also experience the, um, uh, both the positive and the negative sides of there being somewhat uh, one you are accountable to. And when I say that's got negative sides to it as well, it's also that you can't necessarily spend as much time on it as you would like. You would, you have to be finished by first uh, of June of, uh, or middle of April when mm. if that's when the business needs it's um, and and that's uh, that's the way it is. In life yeah. afterwards as well, and and that, um, um, I think we, it's important to see school as in. Uh, sometimes we can use school as. Um, a place where we don't have the same pressures as you do in outside world you have other kinds of pressures but it's also really important to do uh, to do the to help the students do the bridging so Mm. that it's it doesn't become a a silo confinement but it's also important of course to to notice the strength that school has that you can actually spend time reflecting that you don't necessarily have when you get out of school like afterwards whenever
0: there's deadline after deadline after yeah deadline. exactly
1: and you you see that at, uh, with many master students who, who have taken i mean uh, uh, not um, uh, what we call masters in, da- in danish the students who have already taken a degree and who have been out working for some time in uh, in uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, i mean in the working life and then they want to take an extra degree, degree and they they are hungry to actually have um, the time for reflection Mm-hmm. They're also hungry sometimes for degrees that they need in the further life, and uh, th- 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 there can be many mot- motivations. But some, but very many of them really just enjoy the time that they can have for reflecting because they don't uh, find their time uh, for that in, the, in their in the working life. Mm-hmm. So, so and that's something that school definitely can also be. It can be a secluded place where you're allowed to spend time to reflect, mm-hmm. and um, with the way that we have been put under pressure and the students have been put under pressure to finish quicker, that has put, put uh, that is a serious thing that has been put under pressure in our educational system as yeah. it is in these years, and that's a shame. Yeah, when I look around at my colleagues, I don't think any of us have, um, have done our degrees in the time we were supposed to. It's not because we've been a bit lazy. When I, uh, when I, uh, I, as I said, I have philosophy as my major subject, and I have physics as my uh, minor subject, and I had done all of my uh, f- uh, philosophy uh, without, uh, except the master's thesis, and then I did my physics, so I felt that I needed some time to get back into philosophy before I wrote the dissertation, but I didn't want just to go back and take more courses with, uh, with the teachers I already knew, so I spent a semester at Konstanz in, in Germany, mm-hmm. which was with the government uh, or, well with, with the way it is looked upon today it is, it was wasted because I mm. had no exams I could convert because I, because I passed all my exams already, but it was certainly I wouldn't have been here today if I had not done that yeah. because that was what really triggered my uh, master's thesis question, which, as I said described before, was what led to yeah. me coming here
0: change, change your yeah. path completely
1: yeah exactly, so that those four months. I th- from my point of view, were the one, uh, some of the best invested four months mm-hmm. ever <laughs> for me, and I, uh, I yeah. So I, I and, and I think most of my colleagues will tell you quite uh, quite similar stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading reading my my old uh, supervisor's uh, PhD thesis, and there's something like 19 papers published. T- yeah. Today, there's a, a limit of three years, and yeah. you know, you're not going to get 19 papers published in, t- in three years. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely not. No. no. <laughs> So, so you shouldn't rush it. But then, then the people that are above you in the hierarchy—they're how do they measure? How do they measure these sabbaticals? How do they measure? Uh, yeah, that's difficult. These other uh, things, so,
1: right? but, but I mean, well. it's just been—it it might have been too lenient at the time, um, mm. but, uh, b- but it's definitely too harsh now. You, you simply—you're simply forcing everyone one to be at most a mediocre. Uh, no, that's pushing it uh, too harsh. But uh, you, you are. You're facilitating that it's difficult to get past the mediocre because you don't have time for it. Mm. But of course um, you can, uh, I mean, that's not saying that everyone who spent a year or a year and a half writing a master's thesis at the time, that they uh, wrote great master's thesis and and that they were not lazy, some of them perhaps were. I don't know, I'm just saying that you don't have the same possibilities of actually delving into something that really interests you within the time pressure Mm. that we have at the moment.
0: So, you mentioned earlier on a, a, a question that I've never thought to ask. Uh, what is knowledge? I, I've never thought to even define knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> would you care to, to, to yeah, do that? Yes, sure.
1: I would say that knowledge has three aspects and that they're closely uh, interrelated. And uh, those are, uh, the One is uh, know that, what we can articulate, uh, articulable knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, and the second is uh, practical uh, sk- uh, or skill, you would say in English, uh, practical knowledge. You can also call it know-how, how to do things. And uh, the uh, the last one is personal experience or just experience, knowing what it's like. And I'll give you a couple of examples mm-hmm. that are really uh, sort of basic, and that's uh, so you 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 can <laughs> say well, uh, it's much larger than that in science, and of course it is, but just to sort of uh, uh, illustrate what uh, what they mean. Um, if I, uh, I don't know if you've ever tasted kangaroo. I, I have.
0: You have? Well, that's hey something you haven't. It made me quite have quite jumpy.
1: You, have you tasted dog? I have not. Yeah? Then I can tell you, because I have, that um, that was in China many years ago when it was still, uh, 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 when it was still um, something you were allowed to do. So I've, I've done nothing. They mm-hmm. and me have done nothing illegal. But I've tasted dog and I can tell you that it's got really sort of, um, it's got a, a bit of a harsh timber to it and it gets you heated in the way that beer does to it that's actually a bit intoxicating Mm. now that is how you can now maybe sort of imagine what it's like because you have other tastes that I can compare it to I can say it tastes uh, it's a bit more harsh than than cow meat uh, would be but it's uh, sort of in that direction
0: gamey
1: yeah gamey Uh yeah Um, but but it's it's sort of it t- tickles your tongue more, sort of, a, a prickles or so it prickles. Um, so the point is, I can <laughs> say something about it, so I can articulate something, but if you don't have the experiences that i'm trying to articulate it against then you still don't get what i'm saying so if i'm telling uh, if i'm telling you that a clarinet and uh, that an oboe sounds something like uh, a duck then that makes sense if you've heard a duck and uh. Uh, and now you're laughing you know what an oboe like it uh, <laughs> sounds like so but if you had no idea what a, a duck sounded like then it wouldn't help you at all Mm. so if a person who can't see colors it doesn't help me to uh, help that person to say that red looks something like um, orange just darker because they can't see orange either so uh, and uh, and so those are basic examples of um, having what you could say the experience of something is a kind of knowledge that you can't describe you can Describe something like uh, similar to it if people have got those experiences, but then, then you're still drawing on their experiences. Yeah. So in that sense, that's the experiential knowledge. The practical skill, also uh, uh, the, the skill of uh, of knowing, for example, how to drive a car. If you've got, if you know how to drive a car, then you will see movements of uh, the truck in front of you uh, in different ways. You'll see, oh, uh, you may not even be able to see what it is uh, what it is uh, in the movement of the truck. You'll just see, oh that looks as if it's going to overtake, uh, run out into my lane now. I yeah. think I'll just hold back. Yeah. So, of course, you can articulate that, but you can't necessarily articulate what a, what it is about, the way it was driving, because it's your skill of actually driving and uh, taking other... Uh, you,
0: you're not doing the, the Newton equations in your head as you're... As you're assessing the exactly, where it's going to end up. exactly, <laughs> and
1: even if you were, that would probably not help you. That would distract you. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the uh, good examples of that is if you ask people, um, I'll ask you now: if uh, you are on your bike and you start toppling uh, towards, uh, you, so, you start uh, so, sort of losing your balance towards the right. What do you do with your uh, with your uh, steer? Do you do a steer towards the right, right, or to the left?
0: I to steer towards the left.
1: No, you don't. Then you fall. You, um,
0: oh, okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, uh, exactly. I, had, I had to actually the, pretend exactly. that I'm on the bike here. I actually, for the listener, exactly. I have two hands on my imaginary handlebars and, and now you're you veering the, to the right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. And, and that's showing that uh, you have some knowledge that is bodily knowledge, that is a skill knowledge and you know exactly what to do on the bike. And you can also simulated now when you're, uh, I look at when you and you when have the, ma- imaginary.
0: but, <laughs> <handlebars here.
1: laughs> yeah. but if you had, I just ask you, then you, your articulated knowledge is not knowledge, it's wrong.
0: Th- that's <laughs> a very good example, Lina. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know, the pin codes, they're also a simple example it, of it.
0: I, sometimes I, I have to have the keypad in front of me yeah. to, to get the Exactly.
1: So, and as I see it, uh, those three aspects of knowledge, or three knowledge kinds, you could call them, they uh, melt together into one perspective on the situation, uh, which lets the situation stand out with what is important in the situation. And one example of that is uh, Polanyi talks about what medical students learning to see uh, the lungs on an, an x-ray photo, what they're doing, how, how that plays together. He doesn't use exactly the same terms as me, but I'll explain it in my terms, that mm-hmm. he's saying basically the same in, in other terms. But uh, uh, once you, when you start looking at an x-ray, you really don't see anything but the rib- ribs. I still haven't really seen much but the ribs, but when, the more pictures you see, you get to see the lungs, and the textbook knowledge of uh, different traits and the way that different traits can look different in different people, the, the natural variation you have got, and how to differ, differentiate that from actual signs of illness is something mm. you learn where the, you learn to see at the same time where you learn the meaning of the words that you're using. And it's a skill of learning to see. So you get in. that's an example of the, the experience mm. and the skill of getting the experience and the actual textbook knowledge. Yeah that they fit, in, uh, they fit together in one.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting, so these, these three aspects of knowledge. I, I just want to finish with, with one, one thing. So, so whenever we're kids, whenever we're five, everybody's an artist and a scientist. They're, yeah. they're, they're creating, they're painting, they're, they're you know, licking things, touching things, they're asking why, 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 and then, and then we lose this. It, yeah. Is, is it the education system to blame for losing being an artist and being a scientist?
1: Oh, that's a too hard question. That's a not not a yes and no uh, yeah. question. I mean, um, part of no. I, I'd rather I'd rather pass on that one because yeah. Yeah, I mean that it's too it's complex too to to uh, to uh, uh, to answer in uh, a short Yeah, beer and uh, <laughs> yeah. drinking the last. A sips a of the beer <laughs> it, it, especially
0: if we're, if we're referring to the entire world as well it, yeah. it's, too, it's too complicated yeah, but, it, yeah. but it's interesting to think back you know and think we were our that is where the batteries on my handheld recorder ran out of juice but I finished the conversation with Nina just shortly after that just by reflecting on how artistic and curious we were as children and thinking about a lot of us might have lost this on the way but not the listeners of this podcast of course because we are all curious about science and that's why we're listening to the podcast if you like the Science and Beers podcast please help us spread the word by recommending it to a friend giving us a review particularly if you're listening on iTunes or or just sharing it on your social media pages you'll find more information about Nina's research in the link in the description There's going to be a couple more podcasts this season and then we will be taking a summer break. Next week I'll be talking with Peter Kroestrup and he's a researcher into the health benefits of playing football. So he has a few different football classes with uh, overweight children, older women or people recovering from breast cancer. And we're actually going to be meeting up at the Euro Fan Zone over in Copenhagen and having a beer as uh, we watch football, play football, and talk about football. So that's going to be fun. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Michael McGee. Cheers to science.